0: It's great to be back preaching again after a couple of weeks of being off. Uh, We had Jennifer Lau on the first Sunday, and that was a great time of mission. And our Mission Fest went so well with well over 100 people on that call. And it was great to hear from our partners across the world in four different continents. And then last week, Gary uh, spoke, and uh, we're excited that at the meeting he uh, was unanimously approved to be the next senior pastor. And uh, we're hoping that uh, in the springtime, he will be here. And uh, so we've had a break, but we're back to our series on John. We're going to be looking at two chapters this morning, chapters three and four. And they're really all about one thing, and that is how do we connect to God? And I wonder for you, how is your, what is your theory for connecting with God? And I mean by that, um, some people say, well, you know, I was born into a Christian country. I was born into a Christian family. Uh, I was probably in church before I was ever born, you know, as a fetus. And I am just a good person, and I just have always been around God. There's others uh, of us maybe that say, well, yeah, I've done some pretty questionable things at times, and I'm sure God isn't pleased with everything I've done, but uh, God loves me, and I am working my darndest to try and kind of make up for that. So it's this combination of God's forgiveness and and, and a little bit of good work on my part. And there's a group of people that just say, you know, God's a loving God. He's a loving grandfather. It's all good. I'm just going to rely on his uh, love and I'm not going to worry about it too much. And and the people we're going to look at this morning give us two different sides of this. And the first one is a chap by the name of Nicodemus. So we're in John chapter 3. And uh, we're not going to read the passage ahead of time. We're just going to walk our way through it, but we will read all the passage. And uh, John just starts off in chapter 3, verse 1 with, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. We've never met him before, but uh, he's this ruler of the Jews and... John is wanting us to realize right from the get-go that Jesus is here talking with a mover and a shaker. He's one of the important guys in Jerusalem. He's at the top of the religious hierarchy, which in that time was also the political hierarchy. And so this is like talking in the capital city of Jerusalem, like talking to someone, maybe a senator in Ottawa or more likely a senator in Washington, D.C., you know, someone that has that clout. And, And Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Uh, He goes on in verse two, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, And so the second thing that John wants us to know about Nicodemus is he's not going to come in the daytime when he can be seen. Nighttime is when uh, it's quiet, it's when it's dark, it's when Jesus doesn't have people around him. Nicodemus is coming to feel out Jesus. He wants to figure out his teaching. He wants to figure out who he is. And uh, he's going to do that secretly, just in case there's a little bit of blowback from this uh, guy that nobody's quite sure about. And so he comes to start this conversation. and, And, you know, even before he gets started... Jesus just hijacks the entire conversation let's read on Jesus answered him truly truly I say to you unless one is born again you can't see the kingdom of God and Nicodemus said to him how can you be born when you're old can you enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit you can't enter the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh is flesh That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So don't marvel when I say you must be born again. And and so Jesus just (laughs) jumps in and he says to him, you need to be born again or maybe born from above. Uh, The word in Greek can be either and probably John wants that ambiguity in there. To be born again is to be born from above. Uh, For John, both and is often the right solution. And so Nicodemus kind of just, shakes his head because he's taking Jesus literally he's trying to figure out what does it mean to be born physically again and he just can't figure that out and you know obviously Jesus has a different meaning but why Nicodemus is thinking that is because for Jewish people of Jesus day being born into a Jewish family was what made you part of the people of God you were born into a Jewish family, so all you needed to do was just, you know, kind of follow the law, uh, keep within that family, and, and you didn't need to do anything. So when Jesus is born again, he's trying to say that being born into a Jewish family is not enough. Jesus says what's happened is when we've sinned, when we've kind of gone our own way, we've cut ourselves off from God's family, and we need to be put back in. And Jesus will use, and Paul will use all kinds of metaphors, just trying to help us understand that. Uh, Jesus, you's got to be born again into the family. Uh, Paul says, "You need to be adopted." into the family another place he says you need to be married into the family another place he says you're like an olive branch you need to be grafted back into the family but the point of all of those is the same thing is that a relationship with God is not something that just happens because we're born in the right family that we're born in a Christian country or born to Christian parents it's a decision that we make to come to God It's a decision that we make to ask for his forgiveness. You know, sometimes people ask, why do you baptize believers? Why not baptize babies like other denominations do? And the answer is, it's really right here. In the Old Testament, when you were born, you were born into the family of God. You were born into the people of God. And so you were marked by circumcision at birth to say you were one of these people. And... The churches around us have continued that with infant baptism. They're saying that you were born into a Christian family, you're born into a Christian home, therefore we'll mark you with infant baptism. But what the Bible teaches is that we need to be born again. We need to be married in. We need to be adopted in. We need to make this decision that brings us back into the family. And that is symbolized when we choose baptism And that's why believers' baptism is so important, because it's an outward sign of a decision we made, not an outward sign of a circumstance that happened that we were born into the right family. Baptism points to that free prior and informed decision that we've made for God. And so when we come to God, we admit our sin, we admit that we've turned away from God, whether we understood that at the time or not. Often we just do stuff, and it's not deliberately turning away from God, but that's the result. And that we're just coming to understand now that that's cut us off from God's family, and we want to acknowledge that we can't give birth to ourselves, we can't adopt ourselves, we can't graft ourselves back in, but we want God to do that for us. We want to be born afresh into the family of God. And because of the death of Jesus Christ, God is able to do that. And so when when Jesus says all this to Nicodemus, Nicodemus just looks at that and he says, man, I am the ultimate Jewish insider. I'm as high in Judaism as you can get. And yet Jesus was telling him, no matter that, you still need to be born again. You still need to start that relationship with God with a deliberate confession Asking for forgiveness and asking to be brought back into the family of God. That no matter how religious you are, your journey to God must go through this rebirth. And then interestingly, the story just stops. And uh, Nicodemus drifts off stage left and we are left not knowing kind of what happened. And then we come to the story of the woman at the well, except there's this little story stuck in between. It's a story that John inserts about John the Baptist who's baptizing with his crew. And one of them starts to complain to John that uh, Jesus has started a baptism ministry and he's getting bigger crowds. And uh, John doesn't seem to be bothered by that. And he says to his uh, disciple, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ. I've, come to, I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom, who John identifies himself as, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And it's sort of thrown in there, and you think, I'm not sure what that's all about. But it's going to come up in the next story. So now we get to the story of the woman at the well. And uh, you may remember that uh, if you're as old as I am, you remember singing a song back in the 70s like the woman at the well I was searching has the nice little guitar knock in it. And uh, I'm sure Sarah will do it for us sometime, but maybe not today. But this woman at the well is anchored in the story of Jesus, who was just talking to Uh, Nicodemus and then it says when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself didn't baptize but only his disciples he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria so we'll put a map on the screen to kind of help you here but Jerusalem is in Judea which is in the south Samaria is in the middle And Galilee with Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee is in the north. So if you kind of think about it, you know, Calgary, Red Deer, Edmonton. Uh, Not to disparage Red Deer. But um, anyway, after David and Solomon, if you remember back in your Old Testament history, David and Solomon were kings. When Solomon died, the country split in half. And, uh, well, (laughs) unfortunately split into thirds because the part that pulled away was in the middle and so you had a north and a south but but nothing in the middle and uh, the south kept the temple the south kept faith with God it kept the priests it kept David's line his descendants on the throne but this middle part which called itself Israel uh, they built a new temple they got new priests they got uh, new kings and they would quickly spiral away from God and they would be taken captive and they would be exiled all over the world and all their people would be kind of shipped out. And then all the non-Jews from the rest of the world would be shipped in. And this was the way that uh, their conquerors had of kind of breaking down their ability to rebel again, is they just kind of mixed everybody together. And uh, the challenge with that, of course, was that by Jesus' day, Samaria is now basically its own country. It has its own form of Judaism. They only believe the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which, you know, would make reading through the Bible in the year a whole lot easier. But that's all they believe in. They believe that uh, Messiah will come, but he's a Messiah that they uh, define differently than the rest of the Jewish world. Um, and they were seen by the Jews as Jewish wannabes. Uh, There was really, you know, a lot of question about whether they were really Jews or not. And then there was this animosity and prejudice that grew out of that. To the point that the the Samaritans were not liked, to put it mildly, by the Jews. And where that story that Jesus told of the good Samaritan would be such a surprise ending because the Samaritan was the hero. So, Jesus is on his way. He's going from south to north, but he has to go through the middle. And the middle is Samaria. And it's a hot day, it's noon, and he stops at a well to get a drink. He sends the lads into town to buy some takeout, and uh, we pick up the story. He came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. So we're back in uh, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And a well was there. And Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is noon. They count from 6 o'clock to 6 p.m. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And so we gradually get introduced to the Samaritan woman. And this woman is as far from Nicodemus as you could possibly get. Nicodemus was a man in a man's culture. He was a Jew in a Jewish culture. He was a well-respected Pharisee, and we think Pharisees maybe aren't great, but in his day, they were the top. They were the peak. The woman is a woman, so she's not a man. She's a Samaritan, so she's not a Jew. And she has some kind of history with men that's a little questionable. And it leads her to come to the well in the middle of a hot day instead of at the morning or the evening when everybody else would be there to carry their water. And then Jesus speaks to her, which is just unthinkable. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's alone. Jesus is a man. He's a Jew. He's alone. You just don't, you know, that's not what you do. And he asked for a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask to drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, parenthetically, John adds. And then like he does with Nicodemus, Jesus starts to talk about something figurative that she takes literal. As I said, everything in John is pretty well misunderstood the first time through. He starts talking about water and specifically living water. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Woman's a little skeptical. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. Because the water that I give them will well up and will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus begins to talk about water as a symbol of eternal life. Obviously, he's not talking about physical water, but the woman has no idea what he's talking about um i think she knows that she's confused but she doesn't find a way out of that confusion and having no idea what he's talking about she figures she might as well carry on the conversation because if he has any kind of water that doesn't require her to carry a heavy jar of water in the heat of the day she's good for that she knows there's something more going on but she has No idea, but she'll take Jesus on whatever level he wants to come on. And then the conversation gets bizarre. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have him come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband. The woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right in saying that. You've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So Jesus' responds to the woman, she says, please give me this water that you're talking about. And Jesus' response to her is, go call your husband, which to me is a bizarre statement, which to me is, I didn't see that one coming. Um, He's almost got her kneeling at the altar receiving, you know, Jesus, and uh, suddenly pivots to husband's. And the question comes, well, what do you do with that? And the answer is, well, in John, symbolism is like super important. Um, So first, they're at a well. And you think a well is where you get water and you're about half right, which is pretty well par for the course in John. But in Jewish culture, wells are where you go to meet women. They're the single bars of the culture. It's where Abraham's servant found Rebekah to marry Isaac. It's where Jacob met Rachel. It's where Moses met his wife Zipporah. Um, When Jesus mentions husbands, the location builds into that, and it must have created some kind of ambiguity in the woman's mind that this uh, single man is talking to her about husbands at a well. But for readers of John, we've been introduced to this idea of weddings and bridegrooms a couple of times already. You remember the first uh, miracle that Jesus does is at a wedding in Cana where he turns water into wine. And then that passage we just read, which is I think why it's there, is John the Baptist saying that uh, that he's just the best man. And he's so excited that the bridegroom has arrived. And now the bridegroom is talking to a woman at the well. And the woman responds vaguely, you know, Um I have no husband. Yeah, Jesus says, and he gets very precise. Five husbands, the guy you're with now, not your husband, just to live in. And you add those up and you get six. And in John, six is almost always very important. It's the number of one less than perfection. Seven is perfection. Six is one less than perfection. In the wedding at Cana, there were six jars of water. And we talked about that being a symbol of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Here it's six husbands that have left her unfulfilled, but the seventh man is at the well with her. And there's this promise of maybe this is the person who will fulfill you, not physically and sexually and emotionally, but fulfill you in your search for truth. The woman doesn't see the significance, which you can't blame her. And she turns the conversation in another direction. She talks comparative religion, you know, you do this. We do this. Huh, who knows which one's better? The woman said to him, I see you're a prophet. Our father's worshipped on this mountain. But you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus just cuts through all that. And he just says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will we worship the father. But you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshiper will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you, am he. Or literally in the Greek, I am. Am, Which takes us back to God speaking to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. And Jesus just cuts to the heart of the message. It's not about who does what where. It's not about who has God. It's all about who has God's spirit in them. And changing the metaphor from birth, Jesus says it's he who's married into the new family. She who's married into this new family. Not about the good things that we do, not about how we worship and the rules we follow, but about God's spirit being so present in us that it's like a fountain of living water. Remember where here's Jesus who's been walking in the heat of the day. He's sitting there exhausted on on a well, begging basically for a drink. And he says, wouldn't life be great if there was like a well of water within us? that we didn't have to do all these things just to get a glass of water that doesn't satisfy for long. And in the Bible, this living water is how a spring is described. The water that I will give him, Jesus said, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus is describing what life would be like if we didn't have to just Carry heavy water jugs in the desert. If you could relax by a spring, and he's using a physical image there, and it's sort of like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still flowing waters. He restores my soul. And Jesus says, a relationship with God looks like that. Just then the disciples come back. They marvel that he's talking to a woman, but no one asks, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar and went back into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And so the people came out of the town and came to him. And many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And when the Samaritans saw him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed two days and many believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so the story ends with the woman just leaving her water pots, going back into the town, and the outcast of this village is now the first evangelist. Her testimony brings the village to hear Jesus. They acknowledge him as Savior of the world. And again, the story in John will just move on. We never hear of this woman again. But maybe there's some hints of what happens to both Nicodemus and to the woman. If you go to the end of John, it's the day Jesus was crucified. And at the very end of the day, they're in this hurry to get him off the cross because the new day starts at uh, sunset and they need to not have him on the cross and they need to not be doing things because the next day is the Sabbath day. And so, After these things, it says in John, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. He came and took away the body, and Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And I want to suggest to you that Nicodemus comes... And he publicly declares himself a follower of Jesus by coming to get his body and by bringing a small fortune in burial stuff. The woman is never named. We never see her again. But after Jesus ascends back into heaven after his resurrection and the Holy Spirit comes down and the church starts to expand, the first place mentioned is Samaria. And Philip goes there, one of the disciples. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said, and they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. And I just think, well, you know, maybe that would have happened anyway, but maybe the fact that Jesus was in Samaria... And maybe this village had begun to begin to understand what was going on. Maybe there was that openness for Philip to be able to go in there. Uh, And maybe that's a stretch. But, you know, the book of Acts is is structured on what Jesus says in verse 8 of chapter 1. You know, he's only around for about the first 10 verses of this book. But he says to them, you will be my witnesses when you receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And it's just interesting that that's how John has structured chapters three and four of his gospel. It starts with Nicodemus in Jerusalem. It follows with the woman at Samaria. And the last story in that chapter, if we had time this morning, is about a Gentile centurion's son that Jesus raises from the dead or heals. And that centurion represents the ends of the earth. He represents Rome. And and John has kind of woven that into the structure of his book. But real quickly, um, what do we do with all that? Well, how about this? Uh, Some of us, like Nicodemus, are born into Christian homes. We're raised in the church. And we're being told that we still need to have a relationship with God that we choose. That we need to come to God. We need to confess our sin. We need to allow God to come in and fill us with His Holy Spirit. We need to be born again from above. And we need to be born into this new family. We need to be married into this new family. We need to be adopted into this new family. We need to be grafted into this new family. Choose the metaphor that works for you. But the point is we must ask for God's forgiveness and invite the Holy Spirit to come and live with us. Some of us are maybe more like the woman at the well. Um, We've looked in a lot of places for meaning. We've married a lot of things that weren't the best things for us. Our lives are not squeaky clean maybe. And Jesus invites us to come and join the family. None of that disqualifies us. We're not excluded by our background. Jesus invites us in. Uh, So this morning, have you made that decision? Have you invited God into your life? Have you uh, made the decision to be a follower of Jesus, to be a part of the family of God? However good or however bad. Have you made the decision? And then Jesus goes on from there. He says, if you've made that decision, there's a second step. There's a second invitation. He said to the disciples at the end of that story of the woman at the well. Do you not say there yet four months then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For the saying holds, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. And Jesus just ends with us calling us to make a difference in our lives, to make a difference in our worlds, to make a difference in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Not just to have a relationship with God, but to be actively telling our story. To have living water that not only fills our parched and dry lives, but living water that overflows. This living water of God's presence and his joy, of what he brings into our life. And where this water flows out of us, it makes a difference in the world. Jesus is going to talk more about this in a later Uh, passage that we'll be looking at. But what he's saying to us this morning is simply this. When we live out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we have this life-giving water within us that, that renews us and restores us, well, when we live that way, people will be more ready than we think. To hear a little bit more about who this Jesus is. Who gave us that living water. Who helped us to understand how to be born again. And God calls us to be living this out. For Nicodemus. It became to be lived out at Jesus' crucifixion. When he and Joseph Arimathea went and got the body publicly. His actions said it. For the disciples, they will go on to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And for us, God says, if we're living our lives in the fullness of his spirit, where we're experiencing the joy of a relationship with him, which is as refreshing and renewing as as being by a spring, or as maybe David would say, as being by those still flowing waters in the green fields. When we live that out, when we're willing to speak about it, it can make a difference in the lives of others. And Jesus says, Ah, you say the it's a long time before anybody be ready to hear me. It's four months till the harvest. Jesus says, No, no, no. They're more ready than you think. If you can be real. And if you have a deep experience of me, it can have a deep experience on them. And so our call this morning, do you have that deep experience of God? Have you come to him and asked for his forgiveness for the filling of his spirit? Are you willing to live that out so others can see the difference it makes? Father God, this morning we thank you for this passage for Nicodemus, who had everything, for the woman who had nothing, and yet who both ended up in a deep relationship with you. Father God, we thank you that we can have that. But we also thank you that those around us, those that we care, love, and want to be with, can also share in that with us. And Father, we pray, give us such a deep expression of your your joy within us as as david said restore unto us the joy of our salvation and father god may we be your witnesses in jerusalem samaria and the ends of the earth that you have made that difference in us and we thank you for all of this in jesus name amen